evil world of sin and step into the things of God, let me tell you, when you sacrifice the things for God, there's great peace in the church. The Holy Ghost will touch your mind. The Holy Ghost will touch your heart. It'll give you peace you never knew. He's your future tonight. Jesus is your future. You cannot grasp a future if you hold on to your past. You have to let go of your past. Repentance is an opportunity to say, Lord, I don't want to live the way that I have been living. Repentance is an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to leave behind all the things of this world. And I'm going to walk a different direction. world has only given me sorrow. world has only given me heartache. So I'm going to leave those things behind and I'm going to pursue you. The new birth is to be born again of the water and the spirit. And it all begins at an altar of repentance. It all begins with an initial believing that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when you begin to repent of those sins, and then the Lord will begin to show you, you can have those sins washed away. You can be buried with him in baptism. Rise to walk in newness of life, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a promise for us tonight. And he is that promise. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost that is here tonight. Thankful for the Lord and his blessings us, blessings to us. Amen. Amen. Going to continue our lesson series. Before we do that, just a couple of announcements. Once this gets caught up, we'll get there. Amen. November 18th to the 20th. At, that's Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. At 7.30, prayers at 7. Uh, there will be revival services in Minot uh, with Brother Larry Booker. If you can make one, two, three, all of them, um, that'd be great. If not, that's whatever you can do. Uh, November 22nd, that's a Sunday at 3.30 will be service, and that will also be an ordination service. So uh, next Sunday, uh, when we get done preaching, uh, we're going to head out pretty quick and <laughs> get up to Minot. Uh, for the ordination service, uh, I probably need to be there, and uh, <laughs> and so um, we're gonna we're gonna. I, I tell you, I was I told Jindy this morning I was sitting grinding coffee, and I was like, Jesus, I need a word for Sunday, and He planted a word, and I was just I just man, I could I could. The anointing is here right now. You could just you could just uh, preach. If, if, even these guys that don't know how to preach could preach with the anointing that's here tonight. But it is an, I believe the Lord has a word for us on Sunday. And so I'm anxious to, to see what he's going to do uh, in our midst. I'm anxious to see what he's going to do tonight in our midst. Amen. Memory verses, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's a good scripture right there. That, that's a good scripture to put into your heart to remind yourself that no matter what you're going through, he already knows about it. And he already knows the ending of it. He knew before it started in your life, and he knows how it's going to end in your life. That ought to give you some confidence in the Lord. In the old Song of Solomon, there's a lot of good verses in Song of Solomon. 
Man, February's coming up. I have the month of love. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. I'm thankful that we have a Savior that cares about surrounding us with fragrance and beauty in the midst of a valley. We have a God that, that he cares about surrounding us with just, he didn't have to put lilies in the valley. Lilies grow best in the valley. And lilies, I, who loves lilies? They're fragrant. They're beautiful. They smell nice. And the Lord is that lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's, he's, he's the bright in the morning star. Amen. Our God is one. We've been setting this, this stage with four principles. We'll talk about the fourth principle tonight. But we started with the understanding that God is one. And that is numerical one. One means one. <laughs> and God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we understand that. Then we understand that the... One God of the Bible, the Father, is a spirit. We went to John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus identified that the Father is seeking, such the, uh, seeking those to worship him. God is a spirit. So Jesus identifies and defines the Father for us. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we understand that Jesus came to Peter, and said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Or who do they say that I am? And said, some say you're Elias, and some say you're uh, um, uh, 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 others. And he said, who do you say that I am? And he looked at him and said, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And we understand that the Lord looked at Peter and said that flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. He says, upon this rock, I'll build my church upon the rock of understanding who Jesus is. And we build a church on the understanding that Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Don't you think that the gates of hell, hell the plans of hell, I was getting southern there for a second. Getting, 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 get real deep south there for a second. Gates of hell. Don't think for a moment. Brother Mike's like, he's getting right in it. He's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> he about shouting right there. Don't think for a moment that the gates of hell aren't planning things in the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of deception going on right now. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of evil rising up. And it is just absolute personified evil. Jindy was telling me about this, this lady out at the Capitol grounds and, and just absolute possessed. The evil that is running rampant in our communities. So don't think the devil doesn't have a plan against you. And don't think the devil doesn't have a plan against this church. But I stand upon the promise of the gates of hell won't prevail against the church when we are built upon the bedrock foundation understanding of who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. And I know he has all power and authority. And so we can have confidence in that. We know that the son was born of a woman and was therefore flesh. 
And then we, we stopped at that. We stopped at that third principle. And when we read the word Father, we should immediately think of spirit or deity. And when we read the word Son, we should immediately think flesh or humanity. So the Son was born of a woman and was therefore flesh. And so we stopped here. But if we would have stopped here, you would have this erroneous idea that Jesus Christ was just a man. So now we've got to continue this lesson so that you don't think that because God, the Spirit, was in Christ, the flesh. And so tonight we're going to show you that Jesus was not just a man. He was a man, but he was not just a man. We're going to talk tonight about God in Christ. When we read God, or the Father, we should immediately think Spirit. When we read Christ, or Son, we should immediately think flesh. So when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You could read this as to wit, that the Spirit was in the flesh, reconciling the world unto himself. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19. That's an that's a, aisle run verse right there. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Everybody say, I've got the word of reconciliation. We can walk up to somebody and say, be ye reconciled to God. We have a ministry of reconciliation. All of the, man, listen, man, I, boy. Man, the, the Holy Ghost is here tonight. The Lord, all of that column of all of your debts and all of your sins and all of the things that you've done wrong and all of the laundry list of your past that the devil loves to pull out. He loves to unravel it and watch how long it can go. And some of y'all got, man, y'all got way out here. This building's not long enough. You know what I'm saying? It's not long enough to contain all of that long laundry list of things I've done. And the enemy wants to try to remind us of the past. But the blood of Jesus, when it's applied to our life and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, erases all of that. And all of those handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, he takes it out of our way. He nails it to our, his cross. And so now when we look, we're, our, it's like, my columns are reconciled. I now have righteousness. I now have holiness. I, I now have godliness. Not my own. It's not my own self. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. But that reconciliation, that, that balancing of the balance sheet, I no longer am in debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to come and wash my sins away. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Thank God for the blood. But rather than the Father being a separate person from the Son, Paul stated that the Father 
was in the Son, not reconciling the world to themselves, reconciling the world to himself, to describe the one, that outward flesh, the Son, that was indwelt by the inward spirit, the Father, the eternal spirit called the Father, indwelt the begotten flesh known as the Son. The spirit in the flesh obviously makes just one individual. And that individual is the one that we know as Jesus Christ. Fully God on the inside, the eternal spirit of God, and fully man on the outside flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So we understand that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Not just a man, both God and man. Amen. Now, he was a man, John chapter 8, verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Jesus identified himself as a man. Yet Thomas looked at him in John 20 and says, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. We find these scriptures that are going to show us the dual nature of Christ. We're going to find these scriptures demonstrating that he's fully God and fully man. Never been anybody like him. There'll never be another like him. Jesus was, was Matthew put it this way, when the angel came and said that the Holy Ghost, that Mary's going to be born in that which in, in her, that, that holy thing, it's like, man, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you call this? It's just a holy thing. It is just the union of the Holy Ghost, that eternal spirit, as it interacts with the flesh of Mary, conceives a child in the womb of Mary. Joseph and Mary were not married. They were espoused. That means they were engaged, but there was no intimacy at the, at the time. And so the Bible actually makes it very, very clear that Joseph did not even know his wife Mary, did not have any intimate relationships with her until after Jesus was born. That which was born of Mary was the flesh, the Son of God. She then went on to fulfill the role of a married woman with Joseph. And after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other children. So Joseph was Jesus' stepfather. James and his other brothers, his, at least one or two sisters, were Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jews said, you're not 50 years old. Had you seen Abraham in John 8, 57? But John 8, 58, Jesus says, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. They're looking at him and saying, you're, you're not even 50 years old, you little squirt. You're, you're not even old enough to say, and you're going to tell me that you know Abraham, that you talk to Abraham, that you, you, can, you can relate to Abraham. What are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're not even 50 years old. He goes, no, no, no. Before Abraham was, I am. How could Jesus say that? Because Jesus was only 30-some-odd years old. How could he say that? Because on the outside, the Son of God, 
the, the, the humanity, the flesh, but on the inside, the eternal spirit, the Father, could speak and say, before Abraham was, I am. Goes on to say, in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. As a man, Jesus learned new things. I, I don't know, guys, if Jesus like got stuck on geometry. I don't know. You know, maybe Joseph is sitting there saying, Jesus, I'm going to teach you about 90-degree angles because he was a carpenter. Carpenter, you got to have, like, straight angles, you know. you got to, like, you don't want, like, the wall that looks like in the kitchen where it looks like it's, like, leaning out like this. You, you don't want that. I'm guessing, like, Joseph would be like, no, don't do that, you know. And so I, I don't know if it was a challenge for Jesus to, to, to learn something new. I, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, uh, when he was hammering a nail in, he had to hammer a nail into the wall. And I'm guessing he probably missed a couple times, like a, like a man, and would maybe hit his thumb. It's not he walked up and then, pew, 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 pew. Wasn't, he wasn't a magician. He's fully God and fully man, but he wasn't like, a, like some kind of mystical, uh, divine flesh and all. No, it wasn't like that. He was, he was a man. When you saw him, he, he would build things. He grew in, in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. He would go, and, and his daddy would, would teach him the Shema. That's amazing, right? Okay, guys, sit down. Let's sit down. It's morning time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And teach them diligently to your children. And he would begin to, they, so Jesus would hear that in the morning. And he would hear that at noontime. And he would hear that in the evening. And he would go to synagogue as a young man with his father. And he would listen to the rabbis teach. And he would listen to the elder uh, Jewish men as they began to, they, they, would, they would argue scripture. And we're talking like they would go into, they say if you go into a place where there's Jewish students. It is very, very loud. It's very, very emotional. It's very, very um, uh, engaging. And they're not being ugly or being mean. They're passionate. You watch them pray at the wailing wall. They're, they're moving. They're passionate. And so uh, this, is, this is, he grew in this way. But in John 21, 17, Peter said that he knows all things. Jesus came to Peter and said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. The Bible describes him in 2 Corinthians, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So Paul was telling the church at Corinth and describing the Lord, the humanity the Son of God, the flesh of Jesus Christ was being described as weak and weary. But the dual nature, the eternal spirit, the Father, the one that has always existed in Revelation 1.8, Jesus is saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That was Jesus saying these things. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. We have to understand this dual nature. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 6, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. So on earth, he's on earth. 
He's telling them, I'm here on earth. But in John chapter 3, verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So he's on earth, yet he says, I'm in heaven. How can Jesus say that? It wasn't the flesh of Jesus saying that. It was the deity of Jesus saying that. Jesus was fully God and fully man. How can I be looking? I can't be anywhere else but here right now. What you see is what you get. Now, the closest I ever got to it was that one weekend I had to do a seminar. Cause I had to go to a funeral, and I pre-recorded myself on Friday. Sent them my video. They played me on Saturday thinking I was in my office, but I was actually in Minot at a funeral. That's the closest I've ever been in two places at one time. But I was still only one place. So how can Jesus look at you and say, I'm here on earth, and I'm in heaven right now? How can he do that? Because he's fully God and fully man. And while he's in the humanity, and he's cloaked with flesh, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh, he's submitting himself to the limitations of flesh. I'm in one place. I'm here at this time. I'm a weak. I'm weary. I grow in stature. I grow in wisdom. I grow in favor. I hunger. I thirst. I laugh. I weep. I pray. I mourn. But in the spirit, fully God, and the deity of Jesus Christ, he has never been put into one little area. He still fills all in all. When Jesus is walking around, heaven was not empty of the spirit of God. That God, that eternal spirit, God is a spirit. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. That eternal spirit that we would read about God the Father. When we read the Father, we're thinking that eternal spirit is everywhere at all times. David said, if I go into hell and make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I ascend to the heights of heaven, behold, you're there. He's saying, there's nowhere I can go from your spirit. And Jesus is saying, just because you see me in humanity, don't think that my spirit is still not everywhere. Don't think, that's why he could go up and say, I saw you underneath the tree. I saw you, what you're thinking over here i wasn't there in my humanity but my spirit is always there he prayed luke chapter 22 verse 41 he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed we're going to talk about i believe next week lord willing we'll get to this we're going to talk about the baptism of jesus by john the baptist we're going to talk about Jesus praying in the garden of Geth, uh, the Gethsemane. We're going to talk about Jesus in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. And we're going to talk about how that still expresses the understanding that God is one. So Luke 22, he prayed. But John 14, 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So he not only did he pray, he was the one that answers prayer. So, you see, these are not two separate persons. This is one person who has two natures. At any given time, he could act and speak from either of the two very different standpoints. He could act and speak as a man, or he could act and speak as God. He could walk up onto a boat, fall asleep and, and underneath the, uh, uh, the, the hinder part of the ship on a little pillow, and he could go to sleep as a man. 
And he'd get up and say, man, what's going on, guys? And they all go freaking out on him. And then in the next words out of his mouth can be, peace be still. And he can speak as God, the eternal spirit of God. And all of a sudden, the winds and the waves obey him. He can be uh, come up to uh, be approached by soldiers with Judas. And they come up to him and say, who are you? Mr. Tech Guy, do you know what I'm supposed to do here? My screen still is just showing my slides here. Man, these technologies, tech demons. Let me just try this thing. Try again. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's why they could come up to him and say, are you Jesus? And him look at them and say, I am. And blow them on their back and make them fall on the ground because the eternal spirit of God speaks out through lips of man, of clay, and he's tempting in that flesh and say, I am. And it knocks them down. I'm thinking, man, if I got knocked down, the Lord said that, I probably would not have gotten back up, brushed myself off and say, are, are you Jesus? Are you the Christ? And he says, I am. Same exact words, but this time he puts hands out in front of him or behind him. They bind him and they lead him to be scourged. The dual nature of Jesus Christ. When you're reading about events and statements in the life of Jesus, you need to ask yourself, in this passage... Is he acting as God, as deity, as the eternal spirit, or is he acting as man? Is he speaking as God, or is he speaking as man? This is not a dual nature as, a, as, as we would think a multiple split personality. That's not what he, he was fully God and fully man. It wasn't that he was schizophrenic and had, a, had, a, had a, a split personality and sometimes he would act like this and sometimes he'd act like this. No, he was fully God and fully man. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and Mary conceived and she brought forth an holy thing and that was being named Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And there was an understanding that Jesus was Jehovah Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come and redeem his people. And so as because he was born of Mary that made him the son of man. Because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary that made him the son of God. It made him fully God and fully man. I know I'm repeating myself over and over and over, but we have to understand he's fully God and he's fully man. He's the son of man in his humanity and flesh. He's the son of God and his deity and the eternal spirit of God the Father dwells inside in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. To wit that God was in Christ. We have to understand this. It's pivotal to us being saved. If I don't believe that Jesus is God, then you can take me and you can baptize me any way you want to baptize me. If I, if I don't believe that Jesus is God, you can sprinkle me, you can dunk me, you can take me out to the city park and get the fire hose and spray me with the fire hose like they did a couple years ago. It made it big news. It's 800 people baptized. 
Listen, heaven forbid, I plan on, I plan on being leaving, either living until I'm 110 or going to the rapture. But if I don't, and you have to bury me, church, I want you to cry at my funeral. Please cry at my funeral. Um, <laughs> but I want you all to walk up to my wife, and I, I want you to give her a hug and say, oh, he was a great guy. He was just wonderful, and, and he's going to be missed. But don't sprinkle dirt in my casket. Bury me. And when you die to self and you die to your old man, you don't want that coming up and stinking. We are buried with him in baptism. And we are immersed in water. And when you understand that Jesus is God, you're going to say, don't baptize me anyway but Jesus' name. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When you understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and there's no other name but Jesus, you say, don't baptize me any other way except by water immersion to bury my sins in the name of Jesus. So it matters if we understand that Jesus is God. He said his flesh is weak. He spoke as a man. But when he said he has all power, he spoke as God. When he rode across the sea, he acted as man. When he walked on the water, he acted as God. And, 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 I, and don't, don't misinterpret the word acted here. Just me, could I play a doctor? No, don't, it wasn't like that. He wasn't, I wasn't acting to be God. He was God, but he was fulfilling that role as God. He was acting in that role. He was participating in that role as God. Listen to what Job says, Job chapter 9, verse 8. Which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Job's talking about God. So when he rode, across, rode the ship, he's acting like a man. <laughs> he's walking on the water. He's acting as God. When he says, I thirst, he's speaking as a man. But when he says, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, he's speaking as God. When he comes and asks for help in the garden, he acts as a man. Don't let me have to drink from this cup. Take this cup from me. He acted and he spoke and he prayed as a man. But when he helped others, he acted as God. Fully God and fully man. No other like him. There's nobody else like Jesus. And because he was both God the Spirit and man the flesh, he was both the Father and the Son. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So he can be both Father and Son. How could a Son be an everlasting Father? How could a child be an everlasting Father? Because he's the mighty God. 
He's the mighty God. God in Christ. He is fully God and fully man. Isaiah 9, 6 caught a glimpse of it. He couldn't understand this when he penned these words. He couldn't understand Isaiah 7, 14 when he talked about, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and I can see him be with child. He could not understand that, but the Holy Ghost moved on him. Then holy men of God spake as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Ghost, by the eternal Spirit of God, and it began to work in Isaiah his heart and Isaiah began to pin the words because that eternal spirit that always existed began to interact in the heart of Isaiah and began to let him desire the things the Bible says that angels and prophets desired to look into and we get stuck on the dumbest things we get stuck on the pettiest things we have the Holy Ghost. Then there were angels in heaven that have been trying to peer through time and wanting to see what we have. Isaiah and Abraham and Moses sitting there on the mount saying, show me your glory. God said, I can't show you my glory. You'll die. And we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us, and yet we bicker and we moan and we complain and we get all mis uh, discombobulated over trivial things that don't matter. And we got to get a renewed thankfulness for the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. There ought to be some renewed gratitude and gratefulness and thankfulness that God would pull us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. If you've got the Holy Ghost or you're seeking the Holy Ghost, Brother Brian, there ought to be something in you that says, I'm so glad that the Lord loved me so much and gave me an opportunity to walk in this precious truth. I tell you what. Man, I stay in the Word, and I, I stay connected to God, and, and pretty soon, man, these things don't, these, these, little, these little things don't matter. These offenses don't matter. These little trials don't matter. I've got something living inside of me that Moses would have loved to see. That Isaiah, as he's writing the words, Isaiah 9, 6, is, he's writing the words. I wonder if he put his pen down and began to weep and say, I wonder what that's going to be like. <laughs> I wonder what it's going to be like when God, my Savior, the one God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, the one that I've written about and said beside me there is no Savior, what's it going to be like when he comes to redeem his people? He wouldn't know. It was Manasseh. Stuck him in a log cut him in half, martyred. And the fullness of time hadn't come yet. God chose us for this last hour. You talk about humbling. You talk about awe-inspiring. You look at Esther. And you got Mordecai. Man, Esther, you got to go out. I'm telling you, who knows if you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you look at that. You look at David battling Goliath. You, you look at, at the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. You look at all of these things. God did not pick them to upon the whom the ends of the earth would fall on their shoulders. God did not pick them. He picked you. He picked me. Huh? 
best of times. He picked us for this very hour. He picked us for this very moment. Don't you think that God didn't know that there'd be some election poll deception going on in 2020? Don't you think that the God who knows all things and who sets up kings and princes and takes down kings and princes didn't know the one that's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, didn't know that 2020 was going to be a year of COVID? And he could have put anybody he wanted to. He's sovereign. He does it after the counsel of his own will. He chose us. We ought not be fighting over petty things. I ought not get cross with my wife. I ought not get cross with my family. I ought not get cross with the saints of God. I ought not let little things get under my skin. I ought not let those things have God chose me. So dual nature. He can be both father and son. He can be both alpha and omega. He can be both beginning and the ending at the same time. He can be both the first and the last. He, he, he can be the sheepfold, the door to the sheepfold, and the sheep all at the same time. And the shepherd. The shepherd, the sheepfold, the door of the sheepfold, and the lamb. Mm. That's by God. And he can do that all simultaneously. And I tell you what, man, I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. That's the God that we serve. That's the Holy One of Israel. He can do all that at all at one time. He can be both a rose and a lily at the same time. He can both be a root and an offspring at the same time. He can both be David's son and David's Lord at the same time. Why? Because he's the great I am, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the great eternal wonder. It's a dual nature. He can be both a lion and a lamb. He can be both a, the high priest and the sacrifice. So in him, humanity and deity were fused. They're not confused. When he assumed a human nature at his incarnation, he did not stop being God. Just because he assumed humanity, just because he who knew no sin became sin for us, and just because in the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, just because he assumed the humanity nature at incarnation, he never stopped being God. And so in addition to being what he always was, in addition to being the great I am, in addition to being the creator of the universe, in addition to being the Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Sikkanu and Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Shalom and all the things that he was as we watched the progressive revelation of the names and the titles of God to be revealed in that last day. Hebrews chapter 1 speaks of it. Philippians speaks of it. In that last day, giving him a name that's above every other name. All of that progressive revelation finally getting to Jesus, Jehovah Jesus, our Savior. All that he was did not stop when he took on humanity, 
everything he did just continued when God robed himself in flesh and assumed a human nature. So the one God who is a spirit took on the robe of flesh. We call that robe the flesh. The Bible's language is the son. Paul said God was in Christ. The one God was in Christ the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Now detractors make false claims about one as apostolics, and they'll say, well, you believe that the Father is the Son. Or you believe that the man Christ Jesus was his own Father. And those aren't true accusations. That's not what we believe. We see a clear distinction between the Father and the Son. But it's not a distinction in persons. It's a distinction in roles. We see a clear distinction. We're, we're not saying that there's not a distinction between the Father and distinction between the Son. But we're saying they're not two persons. It's the same God in different roles. John 14.10, Believest thou not that I am the Father and the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father hath dwelled in me, he doeth the works. Remember, the Father is the eternal, invisible Spirit. Remember, the Son is the visible, fleshly robe that the Father took on. Since the Spirit is not flesh, you can't say that the Father is the Son, but you can say that he who is the Father is also the Son. So, when you're reading Father, your minds, every time you read Father, you're thinking, Father, that's the eternal, invisible Spirit. Jesus identified the Father in John 4, 23. He told us that Father is God and that God is a Spirit. We know that there's one Spirit. So when we read God and the, our Father, we're thinking of that eternal Spirit. When we read the Holy Ghost, we're thinking of that same Spirit. It's not a different God. It's not some guy over here. It's not like Jehovah Jr. It's just it's 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 not like uh, I got confused on who this guy is. People that people Trinitarians get confused on, on the Holy Ghost. I, I don't say this in any way um, uh, condescending, but I was I've got I've got a friend who pastors in a, a, a Trinitarian church, and he said one time that. God the Father, okay, I get God the Father. That's pretty easy, Genesis 1-1. And I, I get God the Son, okay, the second person in the Trinity. And he comes, and, and he was supposed to be the one that died for me and sent. But I don't, really get, I don't really get God the Holy Ghost. Where's God the Holy Ghost fit in? I just didn't know, didn't, didn't know how it fits in. So one of his elders was, was preaching, and, and he gets up there and says, this is how I look at it. I look at it as God the Father. Sitting in his office, like I just got that new chair that Ethan put together for me, and he's sitting in his office chair. God the Father is. God the Son walks in, and God the Father says, I want you, I want you to go down to earth, and I want you to die for the sin of all humanity. And God the Holy Ghost is kind of looking in, just making sure everything's legit. That's how this man was preaching this. And I thought, that's very, 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 very sad, because there aren't three persons there's one God, and God didn't love you so much that he sent somebody else. God loved you so much that he came himself. 
God loved you so much and wanted relationship. Listen, it, it was his relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. It was him, that one spirit, that would begin to walk and to talk with Adam in the cool of the garden. No, not in bodily form, because God's a spirit, and the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. But we understand that Adam would walk and talk with God, the presence and the spirit of God in the garden. And I, I don't know how long that lasted. I don't know how long that period of time lasted. But I tell you what, you don't think Adam was disappointed? Of course she was disappointed. But don't, don't think for a minute that God was not disappointed when he lost relationship with his creation. And it was something that the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, knew was going to happen. So before the foundation of the world was established, he already had a plan. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, was born of a virgin Mary in a little st in 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 a, in a in a cave somewhere, or uh, probably she was born. Uh, he was born in a, a friend's house in a in a manger, which was maybe we'll talk about this in Christmas time. I'm gonna blow all your nativity scenes out of the water. Hmm. But you can still put them up, okay? But he was born of. Mary, and that is when the humanity of the Son of Man started. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There was a starting point. He starts at that point. But the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, knew that there had to be a plan. And he knew he tried it through Noah, and that didn't work. He tried it through Moses, and that didn't work. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that didn't work. He tried it through David and Saul and David and Solomon, that didn't work. He tried it through multiple kings, and that didn't work. And he knew from the very beginning that there was going to be a blood atonement, and he knew that he'd have to be the one that had the blood. Acts says he purchased the church. God purchased the church with his own blood. How can you say that? God's a spirit. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. But when God was in Christ, he had flesh and bones. When God was in Christ, he had blood vessels. When God was in Christ, he had blood. And it was the blood of a spotless lamb that purchased my salvation on Calvary. It was the blood of a spotless lamb that was spilled, that provided the atonement and the sanctification and the justification and the reconciliation that my soul needed so I would not have to go to hell lost. John 14, 28, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. This disqualifies a Trinitarian doctrine stating that separate and distinct persons are co-equal with the other separate and distinct persons. If one is greater than the other, I can't be co-equal. If I look at you, Tyson, and say I'm better than you, you ain't nothing. I can't see here. Okay, guys, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna share this pot of nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. I did nine hundred ninety-nine dollars because it's easier to do. Okay, but we're gonna share it equally. How much money would you have if I if I share that equally? Good man, you're good. So school's working for you. That's good. <laughs> so three hundred thirty-three dollars, and three hundred thirty-three dollars, and three hundred thirty-three dollars, and I have this, and we're all we're co-equal. We're not, none of us is better. But then I look at you and say, I want you to give me uh, your money. 
and I want you, you can keep $3, and I want you to give me $330. And now I have, how much do I have? More than him. <laughs> and I say, I have this. I have this money. Are we, are we equal any longer? What if I walk up to you and say, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, and I take all your money, and I have everything, everything, everything you had I have. I said, all power. And it leaves you with no power, and it leaves you with no power. Is that co-equal? So what happened to you? Did you stop being God? Do, do you see how confused? The Trinity can't make sense. Because it can't jive with Scripture. Because you can't have power, and you can't have power, and you, I have power. And I say, I have all power. And Jesus can't lie. The truth is truth. So he, he can't tell a lie. We have to understand that the Bible is very, very clear, clearly understood, and without excuse in Romans 1.20. There's one God, and Jesus is that fully one God manifest in flesh. And so it doesn't, it doesn't violate any scriptural teaching when Jesus says, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. It doesn't violate anything because he's God. It doesn't violate anything in Scripture when he says, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Do an apostolic, it doesn't have any issues to understand that my spirit is greater than my flesh. It, it doesn't blow us back and, and violate Scripture for us to say and understand that Jesus is saying, my spirit is greater than my flesh. You know why Jesus could say my spirit is greater than my flesh? It's because he was God manifest in the flesh. But let me tell you what the humanity of Jesus did. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Why? So we can live a life saying my spirit that lives in me, the Holy Ghost that lives in me, is greater than my flesh. I have to have a new man that's greater than my old man. I have to be able to rise up to walk in newness of life. I have to be able to have Christ in me, the hope of glory, to overcome a sinful nature. So Jesus did it first. So when you get the Holy Ghost and you have the one spirit of the eternal Savior living inside of you, you can know that Jesus was a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, that humanity that was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. So he could say, I'm showing you the way. This is the way. Walk in it. You can live above sin. You don't have to go back into a life of sin. You don't have to go back into a negative cycle of sin. You can walk. I will, I will guide you with my spirit. I'll write my law on your heart. You kids heard the Sunday school lesson or the, uh, the kids soap praise lesson a couple of weekends, uh, weeks ago when Brother Chris and Sister Janine were talking about the law of God, not written on tablets any longer, but written on, the, on your heart. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. That's why we can say, this is why we can say the Father is not the Son, because the Spirit's not the flesh. Yet the Father and Son are not two different persons. Just as you have flesh and spirit, which are distinct from one another, but your spirit and flesh don't make up two people, so it is with Christ Jesus. His flesh was the, the Son, was not his spirit the Father, yet they're not two persons. Now, a Trinitarian will come up and say, well, I believe that Jesus is fully God. And they're going to say, Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus is fully God. 
And they refer to him as God the Son. God the Son is not a scriptural term. You'll never find God the Son in scripture. You'll see God the Father. You'll read the Son of God. There's a major difference there. You'll never read God the Son. That's a man-made tradition. It was put in Council of Nicaea, 325 AD. That verbiage is not scriptural. But a Trinitarian will say, Jesus is fully God. I believe Jesus is God. So if Jesus is fully God, is there any title for God which does not apply to Jesus? Jesus, I, if, if you're fully God, I should be able to call you creator. Jesus, if you are fully God, I ought to be able to call you savior. Jesus, if you're fully God, I ought to be called you the bright in the morning star, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. I ought to be able to call you these things, Jesus, if you're fully God. And if I can find any title of God which cannot be ascribed to Jesus, then Jesus is not fully God to them. So I would ask the Trinitarian, can you apply the title of God the Father to Jesus? Oh, no. Oh, their mind just blows up. Can you ascribe the title of God the Father to Jesus? Because if there's a title of God that you cannot ascribe to Jesus, then you don't believe that Jesus is fully God. And there aren't three persons in a Godhead. There's one God and one spirit. And he came and he dwelt among us and he took on humanity. He took on flesh and he had a dual nature. He was fully God and fully man. So we can say, I know Jesus is the father. I know Jesus is the son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost and all these three are one. And we could go through all that song we sang tonight. I am. I am. We can inscribe that and know that that is the same God that wants to fill us with his spirit today. Show us the Father. I've been so long time with, with you. Hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And thou sayest then, show us the Father. Jesus emphatically claimed the title of the Father. Jesus, uh, Philip did not ask to see a representation of the Father. He did not say he wanted to see someone who bore the characteristics of the Father. He didn't say, hey, hey, Jesus, can you show me someone who has the qualities of a Father? He said, I want to see the Father. I and my Father are one, not I and the Father agree in one, not I and the Father make up two of the three in one. He said, I and my Father are one. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I am he is actually just I am in the original Greek. Jesus is openly telling the Jews that he is the I am, the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake of them of the Father. They wanted to stone Jesus. Because the Jews thought in their minds that man was trying to make himself God, but they missed the whole point that God had made himself man. And they're thinking, they're thinking, well, we're going to stone Jesus because here is just an ordinary man 
trying to make himself out to beat God. And they missed the entire boat. They missed the entire understanding that Jesus was God who made himself man. That's the mystery of the Godhead. That God Almighty would make himself man. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So it should be obvious at this time to see the Son of God in the New Testament was the fleshly manifestation of Jehovah God of the Old Testament. The Father and Son are not two separate persons. The Son was the visible image flesh of the invisible God Spirit, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So as we conclude this four principles, God is one, Deuteronomy 6.4. The one God of the Bible, the Father, is a spirit. Principle number three, the Son was born of a woman and was therefore flesh. And number four, God the Spirit was in Christ the flesh. The Bible never teaches that Jesus is in the Godhead. The Bible teaches that the Godhead is in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And some ascribe Jesus to a second place, but he never placed himself in second. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. As we stand tonight, some will try to tell us that, man, you're just, you're just Jesus only. You're just Jesus only. You, you, you deny the Father, and you, you deny the Holy Ghost. We don't deny this. We're Jesus everything. We're Jesus everything. I know Jesus is the Father. I know Jesus is the Son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. I know Jesus is a deliverer. I know Jesus is my rock. I know Jesus is my refuge. I know Jesus is my deliverer. I know Jesus is my strong tower and my fortress. I know Jesus is my God. And so we are Jesus everything. Lord, we love you tonight, Lord. We thank you, my God, for a revelation of who you are. We thank you, my God, that you robed yourself in flesh and you came to where I was at, Lord. You re redeemed me from the hand of the enemy by the precious blood that you spilled on Calvary. You filled me with your spirit, Lord. You gave me the Holy Ghost, Jesus, and now is Christ in you, the hope of glory. For that, I'm so thankful. For that, Lord, I give you praise. For that, my God, from the depths of my soul, I thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah, my God. I thank you, Lord, for the promises of God. I thank you, Lord, that you're able, Jesus, to let this truth prevail in our communities. I pray, God, that you let there be a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. My Lord, we're teaching Bible studies. I pray, God, that you'd open the eyes of those that are being taught. My God, we go into our communities and we talk to them, Lord. I pray, God, that you begin to pull my scales off of people's eyes, God, and you begin to unstop deaf ears that are deaf spiritually, Lord, and let them understand who you are. My God, you're not a second person. My God, you're not just a little God, but you're the Savior of their souls, and you're our Redeemer, and you have all authority and all power.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.